0: Let's pray in that spirit, Lord, thank you for allowing us to come before you today with our worship, just small demonstrations through song and prayer of how much you mean to us. We recognize the purpose of our lives is bound up in our love for you. Loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is what life is all about, and Thank you, Lord, that we could enter into a time just to remember that this morning, to focus our attention on that. Going forward, Lord, we pray for your, um, your illumination as we think about what your word says, how it would apply to us, how we could better study it, make it a part of our daily lives. And Lord, may the, the demonstrations of our love for you not just be in this room on Sunday morning. But to be everywhere that we go, and the, the car rides, the tests at school, the different things we have to do at work, uh, the housework, and, and all of those things, Lord, we want to bring you glory by the way that we do what we do, and we want to do it out of a spirit of love for you. So we, we commit this time uh, to you, and we ask for your help now as we open up the Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Before we get into today's message, I wanted to look ahead a little bit with you to Easter, which is coming up at the end of April. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to kick off a series that really will define our focus point for the whole year here at BCBC. It's called Seeking Him. And uh, we've been getting ready for that, even in some of the things that we've been teaching and focusing on in the weeks prior, uh, looking at who God really is and why we worship God and Uh, Today, starting to look at how it is that we open up the Bible and understand what that means for our lives, how we get to know God better through the Bible. Um, All of those things uh, adding up to a pursuit of God in our hearts. The Bible calls us to this many different times. It says to seek God, to seek God's face, to desire his presence. And so you think about that and you say, well, that kind of sounds good in concept, but what does it mean? How would a person go about seeking God How do you know if you found God? Uh, When does that search end? And so we'll talk about all that starting on Easter and then in the weeks following. But there are two things I want to plant in your mind today here as we're still a couple months out from that. And that is that when we start this series called Seeking Him, that will also be, uh, for this cycle, for this spring, it will be our opportunity to jump into life groups. If you've never been a part of a life group, it's usually a group of somewhere between five and fifteen people who meet at a home or at a coffee shop or at a workplace or over lunch or at school or wherever wherever 's convenient, just to just to be friends together and to go a little bit further into conversation, prayer, bible study um, and and being able to walk together and figure out how uh, how to apply the principles that we talk about on Sunday morning into life and so Uh, If you've never been a part of a life group before, this will be a great opportunity to jump on. I know some of you are like, hey, when are life groups starting? This is when it'll happen, the week after Easter. Uh, Of course, you can meet any time. Like, there's no, like, you're not allowed to meet until this happens. You could meet all the time if you want to. Uh, But we have an official church-wide life group cycle coming up uh, right after Easter. And so two questions I'd like you to think about. One is just to start thinking about, uh, would you be willing to jump into one, especially if you've never tried that before? Uh, to be a part of a life group for about 12 weeks. Uh, An opportunity to walk through this Bible study, you see the book up there, that will parallel what we're talking about on Sunday mornings. And so Sunday morning, we'll present messages about how to seek God, and then in the life groups you'll kind of follow that up with more conversation about the things that you learn on Sunday. And uh, and then also in this book, there's like daily devotionals to walk through. So it'll be a really neat time where we'll all be able to be literally on the same page and uh, hopefully learn a lot together about our relationship with God. The other question I want to ask you is, would you be willing to host a life group, to lead life group so I'd be willing to like open up my living room and people could sit on my couches and we could talk about this together sure or yeah I'd be interested in leading one of those groups at my workplace or at my school uh, or even here on the church campus somewhere uh, at a time that's convenient to you. Uh, there's, there's really no right or wrong way to facilitate a life group, uh, it's, it's just an opportunity to do something that on Sunday morning, at least in this environment, maybe if you go to the Bible studies around the building, you might have a little bit of this opportunity, but if you think about it in here, there's really no way for us to interact that much. So I can talk to you, and maybe, you know, I guess you could shout out and talk back to me if you want to, but it's not that efficient as a communication style. So, so you would hear things kind of in a one-way environment here, but when would you get a chance to converse about that, to ask follow-up questions, to go a little bit deeper, or to pray with somebody about what's going on in your life, which, you know, maybe nobody else in the room knows what's really going on with you. Life groups are a great context for all that to happen. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll have some sign-ups kind of later on in the narrative, And but I wanted to give you that that heads up for one specific reason if you 're interested in hosting or leading a life group, we have a meeting next week uh, to that effect, just kind of an introductory meeting to introduce the material and kind of walk through how that will work and so if you 're not on that list and you 'd like to be, pull out the welcome card that 's in the seat back in front of you and write down on that your name and that you 're interested in being a life group leader. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll get you into the meeting, and then from there, after you attend the meeting, you can decide if it's really for you, if it's something you want to do. Uh, but, but my experience has been that most people who try this say, yeah, this was, this was better than I expected. This was a really neat way to connect with people. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. All right, today we're talking about um, God's Word, which in theory, here at Berrien Center Bible Church, we always are talking about the Bible, but today we're going to talk about your Bible study, not just the Bible studies that happen here at the church. Um, Your Bible study is much more important than the Bible studies that you attend or come to once a week because your Bible study is when you open up your copy of the Bible and you hear from God. And so some, some challenging questions for us would be, how often does that really happen? I think it's easier, sort of in the way that our lives live, at least it's true for me, it's easier to just open the Bible when I'm in a formal setting and I'm supposed to. But do I really open the Bible at other times in my life, like when nobody's telling me to, but I just want to learn from God. Uh, That's what in the next few weeks we want to walk through, not only that we should do it, but also how to do it and how you look at the different parts of the Bible and understand what they mean for you, how you interpret them, and then apply them to your life. So I think it'll be fun. For some of us, it'll be kind of like Bible 101. Uh, For others in the room, you might say, like, I've never actually heard any of this stuff before, so I'm really curious because when I do open the Bible. I'm really not sure what I'm doing. Like, it's, it's big, it's a little bit intimidating, I'm not quite sure I understand what I'm reading. And so my, my prayer, my hope for the next few weeks is that this series will help you, equip you uh, to get into the Scripture for yourself. Uh, what God will teach you when you open up the Bible for yourself is going to be a lot more, I believe, than anything you'll ever hear from me or one of our other teaching team members, uh, what you could think of Sunday Morning Church as supplemental to your Bible study, uh, you could think of the Bible studies you might attend uh, here on Sunday morning or other times during the week as, again, supplemental to your Bible study. But your Bible study is when you open up the Scripture and say, Lord, I want to hear from you. Uh, what do you have for me today? So I, I want to introduce an idea here, uh, just and we'll, we'll review this over the weeks to come. But it's really simple, and I'm hoping that if you don't remember anything else, you'll, you'll catch this. All right, A lot of people... Want God to speak to them. They want to know what God has in store for their life. They want wisdom for their daily decisions. They're not sure why they don't get it. They feel like God is silent to them. Here's something you remember. All right, if this is God's mouth, say God's mouth is closed. God's mouth is open. Okay, you could try this with yours too. God's mouth is closed. God's mouth is open. Lord, I want to hear from you. I, I why are you so silent? If we open up God's mouth, now could God speak to you in other ways than through the Bible? Sure, he he can prompt you and teach you through circumstance, that's all true. But the primary way that you'll learn about God, the primary way you'll understand who Jesus was and how to follow him is when your Bible is open. And as long as your Bible's closed or the app on your phone is closed, um, you'll you'll be missing the, the treasure, you'll be missing what it is that God has for you, what he wants to say to you. Uh, and so I hope that during this month of March, when we're focusing in on the Bible, uh, that this isn't just something where you're kind of inspired that you're like, yes, I agree with the Bible or I believe the Bible, but it would be a time when you would actually open the Bible, all right? So uh, here's what Jerry Vine said. He's a pastor I respect down in Florida. He said, an unread, an unread Bible is like food uneaten, a love letter never read, a buried sword, a road map unstudied, gold never mined, And there it is, it's all on your shelf at home. Or it's all like one finger tap away on your phone. But if you don't open it, if you don't read it, then you leave all of that on the table. Um, for a few years now, my family's been into the uh, the gold shows. Have you seen those like Gold Rush and where they, they're out mining and they have this? So there's one there's the, uh, one that we just found recently. The, it's like where they do it down in Australia. And so now they, it's, it's all hot and dry instead of the Alaska ones where it's all freezing and wet. Um, and so they've got this big machine called Goldzilla and they've got the big diggers dumping dirt into it and all these thousands of pounds of dirt are flying through this thing. And they'll get to the end of the day and they'll show like in a little dish. Like, hey, look, it, there's a few gold nuggets we found. And, you know, oh, this is worth $6,000. This was worth it. Or, oh, we only found $2,000, but we spent $100,000 to get it. Now what are we going to do? You know, there's this. it's, it's a fun show to watch because you see kind of the ups and downs of uh, the gold mining business, I guess. And uh, people who are sort of hobby gold miners. So looking at that and just imagining like all the work that goes into mining, And the metal detectors are going and they've mapped it out and they've thought about the the water flows from a thousand years ago and how it all pieces together. And they get the theory of like they think there's gold here and so they go and they start turning up the soil and the metal detector's activating and they realize there's this huge vein of gold here. Like potentially thousands and thousands of dollars right under the surface of the ground. And then you can imagine them just kind of packing up camp and going, well, like we believe the gold's there. That's great. See you next time. No, they wouldn't do that, right? They're the most important step is mining it. It's digging it out. If you know it's there, that doesn't help you. Even If you believe it's there, if you believe it's gold, that doesn't help you. It only helps when you put your shovel in the soil and get that gold so that you can then go use it. And the same is true with the Bible. We all know. We would all probably, I'm imagining most of us in the room would say, yeah, there's a lot of value in the Bible. There's tons of wisdom. There's tons of truth. There's lots of divine inspiration. It's gold, right? But if it's just gold that we leave sitting on the shelf, if we just leave it in the ground, we never mine it. Uh, It never really impacts our lives. So, um, a couple U.S. presidents have commented on the Bible. A long time ago, John Quincy Adams said this, and I like this quote because it it kind of gets to what I think all of us believe we wish for in our lives. He said, The Bible of all books in the world is that which contributes most Uh, to men's good wisdom and happiness you think about if you want to be good and wise and happy which all of us would probably say yeah I'll take that like that would be probably my life goals to get there Um, here the book uh, the, the book the Bible is your key to that it's the best key so you could go to all sorts of other sources to learn how to be good and wise and happy and maybe get some great wisdom from those but if the Bible is sitting right in front of you and you know it's the best source for that type of life then why not Why not open it up, all right? Uh, Here's what Woodrow Wilson said. It's kind of surprising to hear a president say this. He said, I ask every man and woman in this audience that from this day on, they will realize that part of the destiny of America lies in their daily perusal of the Bible. That's not just like at the Capitol building. That's you, like in your life, at your home. Daily perusing the Bible sets the course for our whole civilization. So it's a big deal kind of leads to an obvious question, do you study the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Uh, or are you just a Bible believer who doesn't really open it up that often? Today, uh, we're going to answer some of the more fundamental, kind of obvious questions about the Bible, just to get an introductory, kind of a game plan, and, and I'll give you some ideas of where you can start. If you say, it's been a while, or I've never really opened the Bible that much, so I, I'm uh, like, Give me the first step. We'll do that in just a minute. Uh, But first, I want to walk you through what it is that we really see the Bible as in our lives, all right? So this month, we're going to learn about how to study it with the purpose, then, of how ultimately we start to live more like Jesus. That's the reason that we would open the Bible to begin with. If you just open it to learn content, you're missing the whole point. Uh, the Bible is not a book just to learn about. It's, you're learning about it for a reason, so that you can become more and more like Jesus and fulfill God's goals for your life. That's why he gave us the Bible to begin with. All right, so we study the Bible to find Jesus. That's kind of an obvious one, a really important one, um, a, a, a key point all right, here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees who were extreme Bible students. I mean, if you would have gone to the Pharisees who interacted with Jesus back in his day and said, hey, quote Deuteronomy 10, they probably could have done it. Uh, hey, you know, give me, the, give me the Ten Commandments. They could have given you the Ten Commandments, plus a whole lot more. They, they knew the Bible inside and out. The problem is they thought that just knowing the Bible was what God wanted. That's just leaving the gold in the ground. They never dug it up, all right? Here's what Jesus said to them. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And Jesus is saying, hey, like, I'm right in front of you. All the Bible you've ever studied is so that you can have a relationship with me. It's so that you can have a relationship with God, and yet you're missing that because you're so tuned in to the academics of it. And so a challenge for us is to say when we open the Bible, we're not just opening it to learn something. You're going to learn a lot. There's a lot of history, there's science, there's poetry, there's culture, there's all sorts of things to learn in here. But the reason you're opening the Bible ultimately is to find Jesus, who the Bible is all about. All right, here's another reason that we study the Bible. It's to learn obedience. Um, It would be a deception to think that reading the Bible is obedience. Now, some people think this. In fact, I would, I would confess I occasionally get this way, that I'll think, like, if I've really read the Bible a lot, that, like, that probably makes God happier with me than if I didn't read the Bible at all. Or if I really attended church or went to a bunch of Bible studies in a row, like, man, I'm, I'm knocking it out of the park. But here's the thing. Learning the Bible, studying the Bible, is not actually obeying God. It's just preparing to obey God. Obeying God is when you put it into your life. When you start listening and doing what the Bible says, so James writes it this way: He says, "Don't just listen to God's word; you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves." The fooling of yourself, the deception, is in thinking that that intaking the knowledge of the Bible is obedience, and it's not. It's just preparing you so that you're ready then to step forward in obedience. And then the final piece here is to study the Bible. Because it gives you the daily wisdom that you need, the, the daily decisions. It's, it's the light for your path as you walk. And so when you say, like, hey, I've got financial decisions, I have job decisions, I have marriage troubles, I have, like, how do I parent my kids? How, how do I deal with situations in my neighborhood? Like, the Bible has wisdom for all of that. And when the Bible is open in your life, that wisdom is coming to you. God is able to teach you through it. But if you close the Bible, um, you'll miss all that wisdom that he wants you to have. All right, so how do we do it? Uh, Where do we begin? Okay, we could start with the most obvious question of all. What is the Bible? Um, We all talk about it. Some of you are holding it. If you don't have one, by the way, there should be one in the seat bottom in front of you. You could pull one out look at it. Say, well, what is this thing? Um, it's, It's not just one book. It's actually a collection of books, 66 books written by more than 40 authors over many centuries of time, that have all been bound together into what we call the Bible canon or the standard or like this is the, this is the list, this is the set of, of, of scriptures and letters and, and historical records that we say are inspired by God. We say it's a book of books. The other thing we could say is that this is not just a book of books. It's not just a great collection. It's actually God's word to humanity inspired by the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that in just a second as we open it in just a minute. Uh, But let me show you a picture that I think I've shown you before, but I think it's kind of helpful. It's old school, but it's, if you were trying to just visualize what the Bible is, it might be easier to think of it as a library than just a single book. So if you start at, you know, page one and start reading, like it gets pretty weighty pretty quick. And people like, wow, I'm kind of getting lost in here. I'm not even sure what's happening. Well, the Bible's organized, not, not necessarily chronologically the whole way through. It's organized by types of literature. And so you could think of it like a shelf, uh, a library shelf. And you could say there's all sorts of books in the Bible that I can read and study and learn, and all of these books would have different principles that that I, I need to learn, and also kind of a different context they were written into. So, in in, a, in weeks to come, we're going to walk through sort of how you know some of that. Uh, but I like to look at this and say when I'm when I'm reading the Bible, it's not just a decision of what page do I land on. It's actually a it's actually a question of which book do I pull off the shelf and learn from. Um, so. Here's how we understand what this Bible is when we put it all together. There's two scriptures we're going to look up. Both of them are sort of foundational for our understanding of of when we look at the Bible, how we define it. First one is in 2 Peter. So go ahead and turn over there in the scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember Peter was one of three sort of closest friend and disciples to Jesus. And so even though there were 12 disciples, Peter, James, and John had sort of extra, they had extra time with Jesus, an extra connection. And there was this one situation in Luke 9 where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on top of a mountain, and they had this experience that was very supernatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, they called it the transfiguration, where it was like for just a moment, the rift or the, the, the curtain that would be between like heaven and earth was sort of pulled back and they saw the glory of God. They saw the glory of Jesus and they heard the voice of God. And so for them, this was a transformative experience. Like it would be for any of us to just behold God's glory all of a sudden. It just shakes you into reality. Like, wow, there's this whole, there's this whole dimension of existence that I didn't even see before and now I see it. Okay, so they had that experience. Peter writes about that. Here in Second Peter chapter 1 when he starts to describe how he interprets the scriptures. So look to verse 16. It says, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my beloved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy of scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding." from human initiative no those prophets were moved by the holy spirit as they spoke from god and so what you can imagine here is that even though each prophet so you get the moses or isaiah or any of any of the writers of the bible you know they're writing in their own culture their own language they're writing with some of their own personal style but but god is superintending their writing god is guiding them the holy spirit is guiding what they say So that at the end, it's not just, here's a book from Moses, here's a book from Isaiah. It's, here's a book that Moses wrote that's inspired by God. And so when we look at the Bible, we see not only the human side of it, that Moses was an author, of part of it. We see that God was ultimately the author. The Holy Spirit was the author as he directed the writings uh, of these books. All right, So that's one principle to hold in trust and to realize that when we look at the Bible through the eyes of faith, that's what we're seeing. Uh, we're not just seeing human words; we're seeing the Word of God. Okay, here's the other verse that is—it's—it's it's sort of so basic. I, I said probably any time you would go to a study about the Bible, um, you would—you would hear this verse. You would start with it's just the clearest, cleanest definition of how we understand the Bible and what our commitment to the Bible stems from. It's in Second Timothy chapter three, where Paul's writing to Timothy about the things that he's learned, the lifestyle that he's picked up. Um, from watching the Apostle Paul and all all the teaching that he absorbed, and then he kind of summarizes it this way. He says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So every good work, everything that God wants you to do in the future, the equipping for that, the training you need, is in the Bible. And so we would look at the Scripture and we would say, well, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. It means that the Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately authored these words. And, and we take that by faith. Um, it's, it's point number one of our church's statement of faith. Because everything else that we believe kind of falls in line after that. That because we believe the Bible is the Word of God, therefore... Uh, we have this then that therefore we understand who God is in a certain way or therefore we understand what moral principles we need to follow. Uh, it stems from this belief that the Bible is inspired by God. All right, so that's a faith premise that you can say, Lord, I, I want to read the Bible and, and the, if, if, you, if you show me the truth, like that's what I want to believe. Uh, but I would say for some people who would be saying, I, I kind of doubt the Bible or I'm not sure that it's inspired by God, the best thing to do is exactly what we're talking about right now. Open it up and read it and say, Lord, if this is true, if you're real and if this is actually your word, then show me, like show my heart that this is the real thing. All right, so how would we get started? Let's just, let's just say that you're a complete beginner. Where is the first step? What's the first thing you do? Uh, I would encourage you to look at that Bible bookshelf and take off one of the books And start with that one. And the one I recommend is the Gospel of John. Now, you're not going to go wrong reading any of the books of the Bible. You're welcome to it. But if you're saying, like, where do I begin? Uh, The Gospel of John is a a summary of Jesus' life, walks through the teachings of Jesus, why faith in Jesus matters, who Jesus really was, his death, his resurrection, what that means for all of us. So it's just kind of the core, central piece there of what Christianity is all about. You can find all that in John. And so I would say if you're opening up the Bible for the first time, Maybe that's the book you turn to and say, Lord, would you help me to learn what I need to know about you as I read here this Gospel of John? Okay, here's the second thing. And I've worked with so many different people over the years um, and encouraging them to read the Bible who will say, Dan, I, I understand the Bible like when you're talking about it uh, or when I hear other people, but I don't understand the Bible when I read it. It just makes no sense to me. Say, well, there could be multiple reasons for that. One possible reason is that you could be reading a translation that was written a long time ago and it's not in the language that you would normally use. And if that's the case, I would say for some of the people, not now sometimes there's other reasons people have kind of a mental block and they don't understand the Bible, but a lot of people, I think if they start with this point, uh, they might find that they could move forward in their Bible understanding pretty quickly. Uh, and that is find a translation that's easier to read. So the whole Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew originally. And so any English copy of the Bible that you read is a translation of that original Hebrew and Greek. And unless you're a a linguist, a scholar who knows ancient language, you're probably never going to get to read the Bible in its original form. I mean, you could study for years and eventually be able to do that, but for most of us, we're going to have to be content reading translations of that original Greek and Hebrew. And so a bunch of those have been made over the years. Some of them in English were made 500 years ago. Some of them were made just a few years ago. And as you read those different translations, you're going to see uh, not just sort of different nuances in how the translators brought the language to life for us, but you're also going to see the difference in how the words, like how somebody would have worded it 400 years ago, is a lot different than how we would word the same concept today. And so, um, so if you're one who said, you know, I tried reading the Bible in a hotel room one time, it just didn't make any sense, I would encourage you try an easier to read translation. And one thing you could do is take the Bible out of the seat back in front of you and just go ahead and shamelessly steal it from the church. You've got full permission to do it. Uh, We have lots more of these, and you can take this. Uh, This is called a New Living Translation, all right? So here's kind of a spectrum of translations so you can kind of see how this works. And this... This is a little aside. If you ever go to like a Christian bookstore, or really even if you go to Walmart and you look at the Christian book area, there's like a whole wall of Bibles, right? And they're coming from all, all different sorts of study Bibles and translations. Here's, here's what that means. Like here's why that is the case and why there's not just one. It's as people translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English, they do it in a few different ways. All right? So on one side of the spectrum, you have people who are trying to do as close to a word-by-word translation of that original Hebrew and Greek as they possibly can. Um, Now, even ones that say they're word by word are not really fully word by word because when you read one that's that's actually a, like, here's the word in Greek and now we make an English word, here's the next word in Greek and now we make an English word, it's all crazy because the word order, the way that people thought in that time was a lot different. A good way to understand that would be if we were translating something from English to Spanish, we'd say we probably could do pretty well. Like those the two languages are really similar. Uh, mm. But there are some differences. For example, in Spanish, a lot, of time that, a lot of times the adjectives follow the nouns. So we might say, the, we would say like the red dog was outside. They might say the dog red was outside. And it would, it would be the same meaning. It would just be the, the the nuance is a little different. So if you did a pure word-by-word translation, it wouldn't quite work in English. And so you have to sort of monkey with it a little bit to get the right interpretation. Uh, well, that's, that problem or that challenge is exacerbated many times over when you're talking about ancient Hebrew, uh, old style Greek. There's a, there's a lot of up and down there in how you translate. So the, the translations that try to get closer to a word-for-word word paradigm end up feeling a little bit more difficult to understand when we read them. I mean, you can understand them, but it just takes a little bit more like mental attention. You have to really zero in and figure it out because it's not naturally written in the English that you and I speak in. Then as you go across the, uh, to, toward paraphrase, in the middle there is, is called thought for thought or dynamic translation. And that's what NIV or NLT would be. And that's where what they do is instead of taking word for word, they take the sentence or the phrase and they say, all right, the red dog was outside. How do we translate that into English? And so it, it's not quite so much getting the word order exactly right and it's more about getting the concepts to, to translate in the way that makes sense to the modern reader. Uh, and then you get all the way over to paraphrase uh, we don't generally use paraphrases in our church, like from the pulpit. There's no problem with them in the sense if you want to read them, go for it. But we would understand a paraphrase as somebody's paraphrase, it's someone's interpretation. So they're basically taking the Bible and rewriting it to try to enhance people's understanding. That could be helpful to you, but we would say that's not really a translation. Uh, that's just someone's opinion. So it might be good, but it, we, wouldn't call that, we wouldn't call that the Bible in the way that we would call a translation the Bible. So I say all that just to kind of give you a sense of why, when you look at the Christian bookstore, there's a bunch of different Bibles to choose from, and then also why it is that maybe you've been following along in your Bible with what I'm reading, and you're like, "Hey, the words are like similar, but they're not exactly the same. Why is that?" Uh, it's because there's different English translations of those original manuscripts. All right, and so, uh, so all that to say, if if you happen to be struggling to understand the Bible that you're holding in your hands. Uh, Maybe finding a thought-for-thought one uh, and trying that out would give you a little bit of an assist. Um, Interestingly, the people who translated the King James back in the 1600s, they wrote a preface to their work. And the King James Bible is where all the these and the thous come from in our traditions. Um, They wrote a little preface to their work, and they said the best way to understand the essence of the original Scripture is to read a variety of translations. So even way back then, they kind of saw that there was some value in not just taking one translation's word for it, but looking and comparing a little bit. So if you want to get into deep study, uh, something you can do is lay out a couple different Bible translations in front of you and just read what the verse said in each translation and go, okay, I kind of see what like, what like they're how this group of translators is trying to interpret this idea of grace. So then here's a different one, how, how they're setting it up. And it can be really helpful and very interesting. Uh, But for casual reading, for daily reading, and I would argue for public reading, um, it's it's easier to just sort of land on one and use that consistently. So in church, publicly, we use NLT in this room. I think in the Bible studies, you might come across other, you know, and that's that's intentional. There's Go a little deeper, have a little bit more nuance. But when we're talking about like the broad concepts of the Bible, um, we want to make that accessible to as many people as we can. And, uh, and so that's why NLT is the one that we have in our in our seatbacks here. All right? So if you have other questions about that, always feel free to ask. But say, interestingly, uh, probably every three weeks at least, someone comes up and asks me about this. Uh, so I thought, hey, why not just like share it with the whole church a little bit so we could all under- sort of see what's happening with, with that. So a, 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 an encouragement would be, um, don't let the complexity of what you're reading stop you from reading. Just recognize there might be a different translation that would help you, that would connect to your heart a little bit differently. Um, here's a third uh, kind of an idea of how to start reading the Bible, particularly if you're sort of a digital person. There's a good app there you could download. But I would encourage you to make a real plan that you're going to follow. Um, you might get really ambitious and say, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year, or there's one plan you can download online, like I'm going to read the whole Bible in 90 days, and you have to read a lot every day to get that to happen. Um, in the end, I would say that, you know, it's not, it's not about just can you consume all the pages of the Bible quickly. That doesn't help you that much if you don't remember anything or if you didn't really apply anything. It'd be much better to zero in on a section and actually figure out how to apply it to your life. Um, that would be more fruitful, more meaningful than just sort of reading through everything and forgetting it. And so, um, so maybe you make a plan just for this month of March, because, you know, each, each week in church you'll kind of be reminded, because we're going to talk about it each week, um, that maybe you say, during this, during this month, I want to read the Gospel of John, it's basically a chapter every day, and I want to pray about it and think about it and see what God wants to say to me. I'm going to open God's mouth and learn some things from God in doing that. Um, on u version there and that app there 's a lot of pre made Bible plans that are great, so they can show you like the progress bar if you 're motivated by that or leveling up or whatever um, so if you if you want to download that and try that there 's Bible reading plans for all different types of scenarios so if you say i 'm a you know, I, whatever I'm, I feel a little bit down and depressed, there's probably a Bible reading for people who are depressed. And then there's, there's probably a plan for people who want to try to read all the Gospels in a month. Or, so you can just go through and kind of pick a plan that helps you. The key is to get your Bible open, all right? So I'm not really prescribing what to read exactly. It's more open your Bible and hear from God as a result. And then here's where I want to land this this morning and encourage you, and that is um, to ask God to give you a love for his word, a hunger for his word. I went through a time uh, right after I started in full-time ministry where I would say the Bible became very dry to me. Um, I had been through all sorts of training, all sorts of classes. Um, it was like the Bible was my job. And it started to lose, like the like I, I started to think of it that way. And it wasn't like, hey, this is my connection to learning about Jesus or I'm excited to like discover something. It was just more like we got to prepare the next study or, you know, write the next paper or whatever. And just kind of became dry to me. And I read Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's right in the middle of the Bible. Um, and it's all about just how wonderful God's word is, how amazing his law and his truth are. And I was reading it just going like, Lord, I... I wish I felt that way about the Bible. At the time, I, just, I, I really didn't. Like I was just, it was just more like something I felt like I had to do. I had to check the boxes. I had to, I had to prepare for the next thing. Um, and so I just prayed and said, Lord, would you refresh my love, my hunger, my thirst to learn from you, even if there's no lesson to prepare, even if there's no paper to turn in or book that I have to read for some class. Um, but just, just because I love you, Lord, I want to be able to read uh, and dive into the Scripture. And and I would say God answered that prayer uh, for me. And I think he would answer that prayer for you as well if that's where you find yourself. Uh, Just to say, Lord, I'll read the Bible as a duty if I have to, but I'd really rather not have it be a duty. I'd rather have it be a delight. And something that I look forward to as often as I can to hear from God. To think of it really like gold that's buried right beneath my feet. Like I can't wait to dig in and find out what treasure is there for me that I have never seen before. Or some principle that I never learned before. Some little nugget of wisdom that's going to help me get through the day. All that is available to you in the Bible. All right, so turn with me to Psalm 119. And we're just going to close our service by reading a few words of this psalmist as he writes about his attitude toward the Bible. We'll start in verse 97. Psalm 119, 97. He says, "'Oh, how I love your instructions. "'I think about them all day long. "'Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, "'for they are my constant guide. "'Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, "'for I am always thinking of your laws.'" I am even wiser than my elders. For I have kept your commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations for you have taught me well how sweet your words are to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. The Bible can be sweet to you like honey. Be something you look forward to, something you can't wait for. So you're looking across your bookshelf and you know there's a bunch of, you know, great books and biographies and self-help and all that and then you see the Bible there and you're like, "Wow, like all that other stuff might be valuable, but I want the Bible in my life as often as I can get it." That's the sweetest thing I know. That's the, it's the truth that is going to guide me. It's what's going to help me be wise and happy and and good. It's the the direction that I need in my life. And most of all, it's how I find Jesus. It's how I get to know him. It's how I cultivate my relationship with God. And so we could join this psalmist in praying that we would look at God's word the same way. Uh, And that it wouldn't just be a matter of like we ought to read it. But it would be a matter like, we can't wait to read it. We can't wait to see what God wants to say to us as we open his mouth. All right, let's pray even now and ask him for that help. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for providing us with the Bible. We recognize that for many centuries, um, you brought together the authors and the the cultures and the scenarios to, to make this book possible for us to hold in our hands now. And the fact that it's so available to us, um, Lord, motivates us. We, we want to read it. We want to know what you have to say for our lives. Help us, Lord, not to let your word gather dust on our shelf or remain unopened in our lives, um, but that this would become a centerpiece of who we are, uh, a daily stop, a, a regular pattern for us, that we value your word enough to pay it attention. There's a lot of other words out there, Lord, that you know well that are vying for our attention, that we get captivated by, um, and, and yet the most important words of all, sometimes we neglect. This month, I pray that you would give us the grace uh, that we need to not neglect or ignore your word anymore, but to read it and discover whatever treasure you have buried there for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week.